0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Rocket MSP Podcast. I'm Steve Taylor. I'm your host. Today, I am joined by a couple gentlemen from DNS Filter. Welcome, guys. How's it going?
1: Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, going great.
0: Awesome. So, um, you know, we we went live a couple minutes early. I just want to ask a, a couple icebreaker questions, uh, and then we'll get into the to like the real meat and potatoes. So for those of you wondering what the heck's going on, that's what's going on. Um. So so did you guys look into the Windows 11 announcement or anything about it at all?
2: <laughs> Afraid not. No. <laughs> I was just laughing because Brian's like Mister Linux over there. He's like penguin penguin oh. to to the death. So all right. I did take a look well, at it. Mm. You're into that sort of thing.
0: (laughs) You know, it it seems neat. Um, They've they've got some pretty interesting requirements. I bet there's going to be a a lot of ticked-off business
1: people. (laughs)
0: What do you mean my six-year-old computer is not going to work?
1: Yeah, from the little eye that has scrolled in front of me, the compatibility question seems to be the, the biggest complaint so far. So.
0: Yeah. Well, but if you think about it, it, it seems like they're doing that to, to get past a, uh, like a flaw in a bunch of Intel CPUs. So I, I kind of get it. But if it, if it turns into a rolling requirement, like, oh, guess what? We're not going to support this CPU anymore come August. Like, w- wait, you're telling me my computer's going to stop working? Like what? <laughs> um, right. So, so and I, I guess in my opinion, it's like you never know with them. Um, so uh, you're, you're Mr. Linux,
1: huh? Uh, yes. Yep. I, uh, everyone else seems to be Mac around me in our company, but uh, I guess perks of being on early, I got to pick a nice System76 machine and roll with that.
0: All right, so I um, I like the idea of Linux, but I don't like using Linux.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is the year of
1: the Linux desktop. You didn't know. <laughs> I think every year is supposed to be the year of the Linux desktop. But... To be.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, but it's going to be the year of Mac OS or something like that. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big Apple fan. Hmm. I got my pencil right here, just in case.
2: Do you have um, a new Apple Silicon Mac yet?
0: I do. That's what Can we're we, using uh, right now. I actually, awesome. um, my my M1 16 gigs of RAM performs better with most of the things I do than my i7 2018 i7 uh, with 32 gigs of RAM. Mm. And that one had the fancy—I don't know—Radeon or Nvidia. Or, mm-hmm. I don't even care because you know I didn't—I didn't really use that function. But um, I don't game like I, I do this kind of stuff, and I've got you know nine thousand. Let's see—it tells me I have forty-nine tabs open in Chrome right now.
1: <laughs> Sounds familiar.
0: I've got a—I've got a Chrome extension just to just to tell me how many tabs I've got open. Cause I'm an a-hole to my computer, so. um
1: I know it's bad when the icons disappear. It's, it's, you know. <laughs> yeah, every every
2: time Brian does a screen share, it gives me anxiety. <laughs>
0: like,
2: oh Wait,
0: is this for real? Is this happening?
2: <laughs> yes, every screen share, everybody's like, "Oh, ah, a little mini panic attack." But Brian, that's how he lives. He's tab master.
0: Yeah, it's uh. Yeah, uh, you have ADD, don't you, Brian?
1: Uh, probably.
0: <laughs> like like self diagnosed, but not. Yeah. Okay. So, DNS filter. Uh, so I've got Mikey and Brian. Uh, Mikey, could you tell me what is your role at DNS filter?
1: I am the
2: product manager here at DNS filter. Uh, so what I what I you know, it's been my time doing is listening to customers and trying to get their feedback to understand the direction we should take the product. You know, features that are everyone's clamoring for, and getting to the underlying root of their requests. Because you know, a lot of times people will say, "I want a button that does this," and the, you know, we just try to figure out why that is and to try to build the best feature set. Um, to kind of meet their requirements as we can.
0: All right. And how about you, Brian? What is what is your role?
1: Uh, well, I'm a co-founder and chief development officer. Um, I basically, uh, deal with anything uh, software related, and then um, more recently, been taking on some of the infrastructure as well.
0: Co-founder. That sounds important.
1: Yeah. <laughs> less and less over time
0: <laughs> <okay. Less> <laughs> all right so um i i think i sent who, who knows if you guys even looked at it but i i did send over some like questions just in case you wanted to to know like what we're gonna talk about um so when i when I think about DNS filter, I think of uh, a really cost-effective version of
1: umbrella. So, I mean, that is one way to think of it. Um, However, uh, price is really not the, the only thing we'd like to compete on Um, in the, when we do uh, testing with new customers that come on, typically they find we're much more effective in terms of threats and, and, and phishing items that that need to be blocked. Um, the The core of our product is a um, machine learning AI based uh, scanning engine, um, which can pretty near time near real time uh, classify new sites as we see them, um, and it's very effective. Uh, we often uh, in the last uh, test we did, I think we were something like uh, block six times the threat. Threats that Umbrella found and the ones that they found, um, you know, a lot of them were false positives or or old things that were submitted and no longer relevant. So, um, we we tend to think of ourselves more as the first line of defense since typical uh, since DNS is a a core infrastructure on the planet um, Mm -hmm. and it happens first in the list. um, We like to think of ourselves as an easy to implement. Um, very, uh, early blocking tool.
0: And the, the thing that's really cool, in my opinion, with, you know, literally any DNS filtering solution is you guys have some really simple, um, uh, kind of rules that, that we can follow. Like, you know, is, is this a brand new domain? Let's just block it anyway. You know, like, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, what would you say, do do you have like any rules that are maybe a little more unique to DNS filter, rules, policies, whatever you want to call them?
1: So, uh, I mean, it's good you mentioned the the new domains uh, feature, uh, because that is um, a big part of the problem that we've noticed, Um, not only new domains in general. Um, but oftentimes, uh, attackers use new domains, uh, frequently to, uh, set up their phishing malicious tools. Um, and we do, uh, the large customer base means that we do get to see quite a few new domains, uh, as they appear. And, um, because we can scan them so quickly, uh, those are very often, uh, some sort of questionable site for sure. Um. well, let's see. As for as for blocking, um, let's see, Mikey. Uh, We've a significant feature set now, so trying to identify something that sets us apart.
2: Uh, One of the things that we have that um, some of the others don't is what we call our interstitial feature. Um, it's kind of a you know work in progress feature. It's a little challenging, but it's a real time scanning of um, domains, and it has uh, proven effective greatly to specific customers that have. Turn it on, and um, you know, found threats, block threats that were unknown to anyone else. So we'll scan them in real time and return our block page instead of the web content that could potentially um, infiltrate the machine. So that's one of the one of the big ones.
0: Now, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm going to um, I'm going to put a. Uh, A little ticker down here. Oops, I did it wrong. And uh, what this is going to do is this is going to have your domain name. And um, I got to say, I believe, unless I'm remembering this incorrectly, I believe your website, uh, when you redid it, is built on Webflow. Correct.
2: why why not <laughs> there was actually uh an interesting you know we had an internal discussion and we found webflow to be one of the easier easier things to implement and it worked out really well from what we can determine so far
0: i love webflow um, i when i do web design for my clients i now do it in webflow that was basically my my new policy is 2021 and beyond. As of right now, everything's going to be Webflow. So I I love that decision. Um, I've found it to be much faster, uh, much more secure. Like I just feel like it checks off a lot more boxes than like WordPress or Wix. Well, I, I don't I don't I haven't really looked into like Wix and Squarespace and the like of those, but I feel like it's it's much better than those, if that makes sense. But I think a lot of that stuff is, you know, opinion. And
2: yeah, we came from WordPress it, too. That. We yeah, we came from WordPress too, and it it was getting to be painful.
0: <laughs> it does, because you know you you know just to set up the site, now you've got like 13 plugins installed and then you know, maybe you want to add some more features, and you know, a couple years in, now you realize you realize you've got like forty seven plugins installed, uh, and you know, everything, every like half your plugins are, are premium, and you know, you've got nineteen different invoices throughout the year for all these premium plugins that you've you've got to manage uh, paying, and yeah, it, it's it's just a lot. So I I get it. Um, so, so kudos to you for looking into things and being comfortable with kind of going outside of the norm, in my opinion, and moving over to Webflow. Um, when, when I look at your website, I, I love your website. Uh, it's, it's just very easy when, when we click on like the the pricing box, you know, you've, you've got the pricing here. Uh, you've even got, inf- like, some basic pricing for MSPs uh, listed right there on the site. So kudos to you for, for being so transparent when it comes to uh, putting information on your site.
1: Well, I mean, especially from the MSPs perspective, um, our CEO, Ken, uh, came from his previous company, was a wireless ISP in Myrtle Beach um, so he uh, was originally a Cisco umbrella customer, or uh, he was a OpenDNS customer, and then they were acquired by Cisco, and kind of uh, support went downhill. Uh, they weren't really focused on the MSP market; they were really more towards the large enterprise market. Um, so pricing radically changed for him overnight. Uh, the uh, feature set kind of slowly went downhill. It was just uh, kind of a disaster. So, so uh, yeah, I mean his his, his uh, MSP, wireless ISP, was essentially the first test case um, for DNS filter. And uh, it's why we have a lot of the MSP features like uh, even uh, white labeling and MSPs uh, implementation uh, so that they get their own custom block pages. And, um, you know, even, even a branded dashboard, if they want to give customers uh, accounts for their own networks, they can do that. Um, so yeah, early on, we were, we were very, uh, MSP focused for sure. Hope oh, you are muted.
0: That's something I'm going to have to remember. Uh, I've, I've got the whole family here, so I'm trying to make sure if they <laughs> cause chaos, uh, we don't experience chaos. So I want to talk about, um, company info some philosophy type stuff um so so you mentioned like kind of why you 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 guys built this but but let's talk about like what things look like today do you have any investors or um, anything like that
1: we do um so we had some small uh you know, angel investing really early on, um, in 2018, we went through the tech stars startup accelerator program. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, we we've, you know, using, uh, e- using Ken's past company and, um, you know, hitting the pavement hard for customers early on, we were able to bootstrap for quite a long time. Um, but at the end of the day, we have a lot of, uh, you know, interesting ideas that we want to pursue, uh, Kind of innovate in the dns space and to do that we had to take on some vc funding um our our current investor our largest investor arthur ventures they uh have uh they've been great uh we're in line with uh kind of the direction we want to go and um yeah it's uh that's so yeah i mean i think the core is still the same uh, we do want to be uh provide the most uh most secure solution, the most reliable, high performance DNS network, um, and uh, yeah, there uh, the resources there have let us uh, pursue that.
0: Awesome. Now, what about employees? Like you guys are, you're not a startup. You're you're not new. You've you've been around for a few years now, which means you've you've probably got a a larger staff than I realize, and maybe a smaller staff than some people expect. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, <laughs> how many employees do you have at DNS Filter today?
1: Uh, we're we're pretty close to the fifty employee mark.
0: And are all of your developers employees, or are any of them contractors?
1: Um, almost all our employees. Uh, there may be one or two unique situations, uh, specialists, for example, that we may have had to hire. Um, we do have an extensive uh, roaming client solution that's installable agents. And in some cases, the specialties needed to uh, implement those uh, to provide, you know, a secure DNS solution have been uh, it's been necessary to bring them on as contractors. But for the most part, um, yeah, almost everyone's employees now.
0: That makes sense. So like maybe when you first developed the app for, for roaming uh, maybe you brought in a specialist to make sure all the I's were dotted, T's were crossed. But now today you have, you know, the right type of people on staff that they can manage and update that client as long as it's not anything too, you know, out of left field or anything like that.
1: Yeah. and, and, you know, obviously we've come a long way. So some of these things were built when we were five to 10 people and, you know, we had to do what was necessary. Um, and now it's, uh, there's, you know, with 50 people, there's a uh, significant overlap in skill sets as well. Um, we, we've, you know, found the, a talented group of people that's excited to, you know, be on the same path as we are. So, um, yeah they, they are also it's not just continuing what others have built. It's actually taking it a lot farther in some cases as well.
0: Um, let's talk technical. Uh, data sovereignty. like you you know you're you're getting you're getting some pretty extensive information about what all of my end users are doing., uh, some of them may have compliance. That we all have to adhere to. So, are you able to guarantee that data stays within a certain uh, country or sector, or you know, whatever people need to do?
1: So, for for the compliance portion, I mean, we've tried to remain in compliance with the majority of global uh, global requirements. Um, in some cases, we haven't had the resources to go through the check the box uh, in terms of uh, in terms of some uh, compliance items. The uh, And that is in our roadmap coming up uh, for things like uh, GDPR, for example, um, due to the way that our Anycast network is set up and due to the fact that our core infrastructure is in the United States uh, for some GDPR compliance, uh, we have to uh, restrict the data that's able to be collected and reported on, for example, Um, we are working on a uh, like an EU network that will limit traffic and keep it in, you know, in the EU, uh, which should allow us to extend that uh, collection to those customers as well. Um, But yeah, we've, we've tried our best with the small team we had early on to remain in compliance with uh, as many things as we could.
0: Excellent. Well, I like hearing that. Um, 2FA, MFA, single sign-on, what what Uh, do you offer?
1: Uh, yeah. 2FA is, uh, MFA is standard, uh, available to everyone. Um, and I we would recommend it obviously. Um, as for single sign on, uh, our authentication provider supports it. We haven't had any, um, any customer come on that has, uh, required it to push the development effort forward. Um, it's, a uh, just, uh, w- yeah, we're looking for that first test case and, um, but it, yeah, should be supported, uh, SAML and uh, and uh, uh, OAuth and the various uh, single sign-on providers.
0: And I see $50 a month is what it starts at for MSPs. Um, I remember a while back, anyway, you guys had two different types of pricing. It was uh, uh, user pricing or usage pricing, and... Then I remember a few months ago that changed.
1: Correct. Yeah. So we've gotten uh, we've gotten rid of the usage based pricing um, for a few reasons. So uh, primarily it was confusion. So early on we thought, hey, you know, pay as you go was a was a useful thing, um, especially for smaller customers. Uh, however, it turned out that especially the MSP market, you know, nobody really comprehends request count, you know, and it, it varies significantly based on industry customer type. Uh, so it was a bit crazy trying to explain to every customer like, okay, well, what does this actually mean in terms of dollars? Um, and it it turns out almost everyone prices by user, uh, companies know their employee count. Um, MSPs typically are able to bundle us as, as part of their user count. Um, So yeah, it was mainly just, uh, switching to something that's more consistent. It also prevented things like, um, abnormal spikes in charges. So if something was misconfigured, if something was, uh, you know, they get an IOT device and it goes hectic and starts sending tons of requests through the system. Um, they'd get this astronomical bill and be, you know, amazed how is this possible, um, and we'd end up having to go through a bunch of hoops to refund that. It was just super confusing. Um, so we standardized everything, went to a per user model for everyone, and um, I think it makes things a lot more clear and reliable for the customer.
0: I like that. Now, I I will say I know some MSPs who they they weren't like upset or anything like that by the change. They're actually worried. By the change, because their usage based pricing, they were paying more. And so what what they ended up doing was they were like, well, I just added like some extra users in there because I wanted to keep my pricing around the same because I wasn't trying to trigger some kind of like audit or getting fired by them or whatever else.
1: It's, Is this something you've seen? So definitely, people's prices fluctuated. Uh, about half went up and half went down. Uh, it it was definitely on a case by case basis, and really, it came down to what types of users. When you're talking about daily, heavily technical users, their request count was typically higher. Um, when you're talking about uh, lesser used networks or or industries that had a uh, very restrictive, you know, web, uh, web browsing. Uh, and yeah, in those cases it did go down. So, um, we understand it's definitely a transition thing. Um, we're working with the crazy outliers to figure out where the difference is. Um, but I don't think we're looking to get rid of anyone entirely. I mean, if, 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 if it's, if it's crazy abnormal, if they were paying us, you know, five hundred dollars thousand dollars a month, and they claim to have one user in the back office, we had to figure out what the what the deal is. That's all. Um, but in so far, yeah, it's, everyone's been uh, been understanding and, and worked with us.
0: Okay, and um, I, I think the the reason that this happened is, you know, they were doing usage based, and then. Um, when you switched everything to user only, they're like, "All right, well, you know, I've, I've got a bunch of clients that, you know, maybe they're a, a gym or or something else, or like like a salon, you know, like they've got a few employees, or maybe they've only got like a couple computers, and then everything else is guest Wi-Fi,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then then they've they've got their own customers in there using the Wi-Fi, or maybe employees using the Wi-Fi mm-hmm. on." Personal devices and doing whatever they do on their personal device.
1: Correct. Yeah. So, so there were some cases that came to our attention as we made this switch from uh, from legacy customers. Uh, they uh, the two cases we came across were yes, the guest Wi-Fi issue. Um, we do have a guest Wi-Fi option uh, in our typical plans for this legacy user case. Uh, I'm, I don't think that was uh, initially available. So we're working on adding that now. Uh, the other edge case was education. So because education is significantly different, uh, the student count typically doesn't change month to month very often. And on top of that, the the usage pattern is significantly different. So um, our education price is less per user. Um, it, it, it It's a case that we didn't anticipate where some MSPs had a mix of education and business customers, uh, and we're working on adding that as well.
0: But aren't you guys supposed to anticipate, like, literally everything?
1: You know, people have the weirdest setup sometimes. It just – every time we, we think we've got it covered, somebody calls us up with some unique case. So,
0: All right. All right. So um, uh, I, th- I think that covers the pricing thing. What, what is the per-user price? For an MSP who wants to sign up today
1: so it kind of depends on the feature set um, our our user licensing type the basic pro and enterprise uh, I believe the feature set is on the pricing page there um, mm-hmm. that's uh, that is standard the $50 minimum is required for MSPs um, however uh, depending on which feature set that depends on your your minimum license count there. Uh, but somebody that doesn't need uh, like per user reporting or uh, roaming client support, who's just doing guest Wi-Fi, for example, um, it, the price is going to be different than someone that needs, you know, mobile roaming clients. And, um, you know, we're working on adding uh, SIM integration. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be more towards the enterprise level. Um, but yeah, it's sure. it's a discount on the per user price. And that depends on your... Your tier level, essentially, your spend level with us.
0: Okay. Um, so, where does the discount start?
1: Twenty like percent. What?
0: Okay. So, so essentially, um, if we wanted to get started, um, and we wanted to be at like Pro, for example, with with that feature set, do are we selling Pro per Client site, or can I just say this site's got five, that site's got seven. Correct. I need I need twelve licenses. Exactly. And then yep. because I've only got twelve now, I might only I might only have twenty uh, ish dollars worth of licenses, but my minimum price is fifty.
1: Exactly. Okay.
0: Okay. So it starts at a twenty percent discount off of the DNS filter pricing tab. When you look at Basic, Pro, Enterprise, and do you offer annual as well for the MSP?
1: We do. I think it's a ten percent discount on the annual as well. Okay. On top of that,
0: okay. And then, um, what kind of tiers are we talking? Like, you know, the no dis no discount change for the first like million endpoints, and then and. Then- <laughs>
1: Uh, I think it's by dollar spend. Um, it's, okay. uh, the, the tier one is the $50 minimum uh, at the, I think it's the 500 a month level. It's uh, the next tier up. And then uh, if the last tier, I think, is 2,000 a month, Mikey. Okay.
0: And so I I could have a mix and, and match, mishmash, whatever you want to call it, of basic pro and enterprise licenses to use across my clients.
1: Essentially, yes. And education as well, right?
0: And then with, with all of that and and also guest Wi-Fi, Sure. Okay. So, and then with all of that, could I have like at client a, uh, a a few basic users and then just a couple pro users that way those, those users get the roaming client.
1: Yeah. So because the feature set is, is kind of per client, uh, it's, it's unique per client. So you have to pick a license type for that particular location, um, but yeah, if you have multiple clients you can mix and match them for sure.
0: Okay. Well, that covers all the questions I have about the pricing. So, let's talk about some of the new stuff that you guys have have kind of released in the last I don't know, I, th- I think it's been a, f- a few months you've you've kind of you've kind of hit us with a bunch, right?
2: That's the plan. <laughs>
0: So, okay, so uh, what do we got? Touching
2: on, well, touching on pricing real quick, I just wanted to mention that we do have a generous uh, two week free trial. And if you mention um, rocket MSP during your uh, sales process, you can actually extend that to 30 days. So all the MSPs out there, you know, please reach out to our salespeople and mention that you heard us, heard about us on this podcast and um, you can extend your trial to 30 days and get a, get a full month of testing under your belt before you have to, pay anything. <laughs> but regarding uh, new features, you know, the last two quarters have been um, pretty um, hectic. We've been trying to release a bunch of stuff. Um, Steve, if you want to show my screen real quick, I think I could start with a quick demo of the product. What do you think? Oh, and here it is. Always <laughs> oh, this way. So this is um this is the overview page of our of our dashboard. You can see the multi-tenancy features uh, here. Uh, we have an MSP dashboard, and there are some kind of global you know, global attributes that you can configure. And then underneath that is each of the organizations that I, as an MSP, <coughs> am managing. Um, I actually run my roaming client in the Wayne Enterprises organization so I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in there to kind of just kind of go over quickly um, what the what the dashboard experience is like. So this is our overview page you get some kind of quick hits on stats like what's happening uh, stats wise and then um, some kind of deployment quick hits like you know how what do I have deployed on this particular organization and then the domain count, um, what's popular domains in this particular org. Um, And then uh, kind of the, the two main areas that are required to set up our policies and deployments. Um, I'll look at deployments first. So deployments are basically a any network or a any machine with a roaming client. And then we also have uh, users and relays. I won't touch on those uh, too in depth. I'm just going to go over them at a high level. A site kind of represents a location, you know, like Uh, Office, Office 1, Office 2 type of thing. Um, These all exist within the same uh, organization. So within uh, the site, you can have uh, roaming clients and users. Roaming clients are installed per machine. We have iOS, Android, uh, Windows, Mac. We also have a Chrome extension. If none of those work for you, the Chrome extension is very popular, especially with our education customers. So there are many deployment methods and uh, you kind of think of it as a hierarchy. So you as the MSP, then you have organizations under you and then you have sites in the organization and then roaming clients of any type belong to a specific site. So that's kind of deployments at a high level. And I'll look at the obviously the policies is kind of like where to meet where everything happens. You can see that these sites are assigned a policy and a block page. Uh, so this, the policy page just kind of lists all the policies. There's um, various options. I think I was working on this one. I called it a danger. So we can um, do content filtering. We can, uh, I think we have 36 categories that we can filter by. You can see them here. It's real easy to enable and disable them. Uh, these changes, as you make them, um, occur relatively quickly. You know, within. 10 to 15 seconds. Sometimes you have may have to like clear your DNS cache or something, but typically 10 to 15 seconds and they'll be activated. Um, we also have a safe search function, and this is to kind <clears> of <throat> filter the search results for the most popular uh, search platforms, Google, Bing, DuckDuckGo, and YouTube. <laughs> then we have our uh, threats tab, and uh, these are kind of the, the things that you want to specifically pay attention to. We've got our botnet, crypto mining, all that, malware. Um, there's, uh, you know, various schools of thought internally about the best way to set this up. Some people want to restrict new domains, which is, you know, domain register within 30 days. That's probably a great idea. Obviously, uh, botnet, crypto mining, malware, and phishing and deception are, are pretty crucial. Uh, translation sites can be used. Um, to circumvent DNS filtering. So that's why it's one of the threat uh, in the threat section. And then proxy and filter avoidance can also be used to circumvent uh, DNS filtering. So that's why it's here. Um, But proxy and filter avoidance does include things like cloudfront.net and things like that. So it can get cumbersome if you enable that. Um, I'm gonna skip over AppAware for, for a moment because that's one of our our newer features that I'm going to go over in a minute. Um, So then we have our allow list and our block list. This is just a list of domains and or subdomains that you want to block specifically. I have a few here. And then our advanced tab, um, NAT IPs is kind of an advanced feature. You can certainly look in our docs for more information about that or reach out to our support team. It's very powerful if you can't, uh, if you cannot, deploy roaming clients, uh, you can have uh, unique policies for sections of your organization. So that's a pretty powerful feature. You wanna check it out. Uh, We also do can block advertising domains, um, park sites and domains, and then a few other advanced features. So policies and deployments is kinda like where the the basic things happen. Like you have to do those first before anything starts to work. But once everything starts working, you know, within 15, 20 minutes, you'll start to see uh, reporting data coming in. And this is our new insights reporting system. Well, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out uh, how to display the vast amount of data that we have in a way that's easily understandable by you, the customer. So we've, you know, we've done um, <clears throat> kind of a lot of combining of our old reports onto one specific report. You can, uh, see what happened like on a graph let's see these can see like spikes that happen for blocks and threats and then this section here is actually our data explorer it's a kind of a remodeled version of our data explorer and we have a lot of filters that you can kind of narrow down the results and then we have some breakdowns by domain category collection user and roaming client so that's kind of where you can Kind of pinpoint something that happened on your network, uh, and we'll you know kind of look at that a little bit more in the future if you want. Um, and then the other sections of our dashboard, organizations, kind of configurations where you set up your users. There's GDPR settings here that we talked about that earlier. Uh, there's some interesting tools that are that are very helpful. Query log specifically, which. Um, <clears throat> it shows the raw DNS logs of all the searches happening on your network, all the DNS queries on your network. You can see what's happening here on Wayne Enterprises. So you can see like Slack, Dropbox, see what's happening. You can filter by blocked or allowed, just to see who's doing it and and what they're doing. And um, one of the key features of our new insights reporting is this data, this raw query data is available in insights um, after you drill down by a specific breakdown, so along with uh, the query log, we have a policy audit log, so you can see who did what at what time. Like, um, Mikey Pruitt changed the danger policy at a certain time. You know, why did he do that? Maybe you need to maybe you need to ask Mikey why he did that. Um, and then we have our domain report. This is a this is a crucial tool. So what is it? This p io right? Oops. So you can see um, the domain report kind of just gives you the categories of any domain. Um, and then you can report an inaccurate category to us, which does happen. You know, we want to be um, as up to date as we can. And you, the crowd, can kind of help us keep keep everything uh, as accurate as possible and certainly report any security threats that you know about. Um, on the screen, you can also add this specific domain we're looking at uh, to an allow or a block list. This uh, domain lookup, sorry, domain report feature is pretty popular, and we have it uh, listed under the support dropdown as well. And then I guess I can jump into the new stuff. Steve, do you have any questions for me, or do you think anything wasn't quite clear?
0: Are you able to do like a global across all your MSPs, like whitelistrocketmsp.io?
2: So we do have global policies we're working on a few no, uh, not,
0: not a policy just hard code it like literally just <laughs> whitelist my company's domain name.
2: <laughs> Actually, I think Brian can handle that. Brian, if you want to jot down that domain name and then you know,
0: when we no, get it in
2: the, <laughs> I'll get it in the dev queue, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Why? why don't we just proxy everything to your website?
0: <laughs> you know, I had, I, I don't want to make the internet harder to use. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. Let's, let's, let's look at some of this new stuff. Now I got to say you, you intentionally skipped over something called app aware. And I have a question that maybe Apple Aware answers. All
2: right. Let's hear the question.
0: Uh, I have a colleague who has signed up for Augment and and the biggest reason he signed up for Augment is because um they use Augment uses the DNS filter logs to find out which cloud apps are being used like Dropbox and G Suite and you know. Mhm. So so is that what AppAware does?
2: So AppAware is actually part of the of a filtering policy. So we do have that information and we do want to, you know, surface to you like these are the apps utilized on your network. That's kind of the, the next step in AppAware. Uh, but what it does right now is we know those domain names and we have um, kind of collected them together. So like think of Facebook, for example. So Facebook on, on your phone, Facebook on the web, they all use different um, domain names, various domain names. So in order, in order to successfully block Facebook, uh, you have to block several domains at once. And what Appleware mm. does is it just says, it's just an icon of Facebook and you just click it and that policy is now protected from Facebook. <laughs> and there's, I think there's not over 900 apps that we have um, categorized. Uh, with that, but you're right. the The next step is to say, to kind of, uh, you know, bring to light what is what is being utilized on the networks, and that will happen in our reporting system.
0: So what what I think I'm hearing is if somebody's sole reason for signing up with Augment is to see what tools are being utilized at each of their clients and augment is getting that information from your logs that someday in the near future hopefully before 2021 is ended we will be able to get that information in a report directly from dns filter and could cancel augment
1: that is the plan
2: That's the plan. And I think 2021 is a safe time frame. I'm comfortable with that. (laughs) You you hear that, Dev team?
0: (laughs) I just got quite possibly the best compliment I've received yet about this beard. Um, With that beard, you look like you should be a yard gnome. That's amazing. Is is that a compliment? (laughs) Of course it's a compliment.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Everything's a compliment.
0: So so my my church uh does this really big outreach event every year and I told them I will grow out my hair and beard if they promise to do Harry Potter as next year's theme and I'll I'll be Hagrid. Uh this this <laughs> Now it's all starting to make sense, right? This year the theme was Star Wars and we nailed it man so i think i think we now have the ability to pull off harry potter
2: how much longer do you have to grow
0: (laughs) well i mean we just did the event last week so Ah. 51 ish more weeks that's assuming they say (laughs) yes we're doing this um so i don't know yet we'll we'll see they might say, yeah, we're yeah. going a different direction, and I just get rid of it. Yeah. Maybe I just want to be the, the IT guy or the website guy for ZZ Top. Who knows?
2: You can play either role with that beard. Yeah. I know, uh, it, there's a lot of beards at DNS filter and there's some, you know, significant ones. <laughs> we have the uh, an annual, we need an annual beard off.
0: Maybe. All I know is John attempted to hurt my feelings. Instead, he didn't <laughs> better luck next time um, all right, so we were talking about the Appleware so can you show us what Appleware does today?
2: yeah you were you were actually um, talking about canceling stuff for and and you know favoring um, DNS filter instead so yeah we'll just I get like, rid of like augment if that's
0: there. if that's literally the only reason we have augment, then we can cancel augment for DNS filter.
2: For sure, and that is a feature that, you know, is kind of next on our on our docket. Um, so, you know, natural continuation of this, all this data that we have for Aware, um, is to showcase it, like we were talking about. But um, for, for right now, this is a preview feature. you kind of seen it here first. We've kind of shown screenshots of it here and there. Uh, but, but what we're looking at is, uh, you know, one portion of the filtering policy that we're setting up. And we can block. Um, I think there's, like I said, there's over 900 apps here that we can block specifically. And it and it could could be, you know, you want to block the social media apps and make it real real easy for IT admins to, you know, block Snapchat or whatever they want to do. Um, but there's other things that may be, you know, more uh, business focused. For for example, say you're a you're a shop that doesn't use. Uh, Salesforce. So there's no reason for your staff to be on Salesforce and if they are, maybe they're doing something they shouldn't be. So you want to block that as well. So there's, you know, tons of apps in here. Uh, just, you know, look around, see what you can block one click block. It's, it's very easy. Um, this is actually all available via our, our API as well. If you want to, you know, go that route, certainly uh, feasible. But um yeah, that's kind of app aware in a nutshell and you can see what you have blocked with um, uh, this toggle here.
0: Can can I see what, like, the big, long list of apps looks like?
2: We may have that in our documentation, but I'm not sure exactly. But I'll make sure it gets posted somewhere. But you can see these – and these categories actually match um, the DNS filtering categories. So you can see, there's a whole bunch of them, but <clears throat> I'll make sure that gets posted somewhere in our documentation and get the links out there. But yeah, we're really, really excited about AppAware. Um, you know, it's kind of been <clears throat> danced around. People will kind of ask for, "I want to block," you know, bandwidth hogs uh, was one one customer's request, and and another customer was, uh, "I want to block." Um, streaming sites like Netflix or whatever. And you can put like netflix.com in your uh, block list, but um, there's various domains that Netflix uses that you may have to search for. And instead of doing that searching, we're doing it for you. So a lot of, um, you know, people with guest Wi-Fi, for example, like in the gymnasium we we're talking about, may want to block uh, iOS updates and Windows updates so that their bandwidth isn't clogged either, you know, Oh, everybody's apps updating while they're exercising, things like that. So there's a lot of flexibility here, a lot of use cases, and we're pretty excited about it.
0: Any questions about it? Yeah, I'm really excited about that. So day one, when that launches, is it launched?
2: Not quite yet.
0: Okay, so day one, when that launches, we'll be able to block certain apps, services, whatever you want to call them. We could even block an entire category. And how is this different than, than creating a policy that says, I don't want people to see like adult content like i could just go into the policy and say i don't want people going to youtube.com correct that's that's
2: good right
1: Oh, yeah. I was just going to say it's a a finer level of control in this particular case. So um, if there were uh, specific applications where you didn't want to block the whole category, adults, probably not the best example to use in that particular (laughs) case. I don't think you're going to be very selective on which ones you want to block or allow. Um, But in many of the other cases, like it doesn't necessarily make sense to block information technology or um, block uh, business, for example. Uh, when you're really looking to block a specific tool,
2: exactly. And and uh, social media is kind of an easy easy example. Like you don't want to necessarily block all social media, but you want to block you know the three or four that you don't want people using on your network. So, but yeah, it's more fine grained.
0: So. Um... When and, and then the other thing to, to think about is for example, if you wanted to block YouTube by selecting YouTube as the service in here, that's also going to probably block what is it like ytimg.com or or whatever they're using as the as the domains that um hosts all of the um thumbnail images and they might have a different URL where they're hosting all of the um, actual video media and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what yep. you're saying is by, by saying, I just want to block YouTube, this blanket blocks everything that you guys know is associated with blue, uh, YouTube.
2: Exactly. Okay. And we have, um, we have lists available, uh, public lists available uh, on our GitHub page, but it's it's just too it was too cumbersome. So so we've kind of devoted some time to manage the list for everyone, and and introduce uh, many many more services and apps. So
0: so um, I've got a a few questions I want to go through. Uh, first, related, um, how are you dealing with the use of CDNs to get around blocking?
2: Brian, you want to take that one?
1: <laughs> well, so the, I mean, there's a few different things going on there. Uh, for advertising, we understand that CDNs and specifically naming in general um, is a way which people are using to get around advertising in the first place. Uh, so that's actually something we're currently working on, that anything in the CName chain is going to get blocked for advertising, uh, so that won't be a big issue. Um, now, in terms of some of the less popular uh, CDN sites, uh, in those particular cases, we may not catch all of the related CDNs. Um, our machine learning AI does a, a, as good of job as possible to link and relate CDNs um, to specific customers. Uh, but there are cases where they, that may not be possible. Um, In general, though, if we're blocking either applications or categories, uh, for the most part, uh, because the majority of the domains are blocked themselves, uh, the page category app typically doesn't work in the first place. Uh, But it is theoretically possible that, yes, some direct links to CDNs could uh, still be accessible, uh, but that's typically not a common case that we see.
0: And what about uh, if we decided we wanted to um, block an entire category, but maybe we want to have a couple things that are whitelisted? Can we then whitelist those items still?
1: So that's something we're working on. Uh, The problem with a whitelisted approach is in some cases, and again, getting back to the CDN case, uh, in some cases, the requirements to get an application or page working in in an entire in in entirety is often much more complicated than simply blocking some of the key resources. Um, so for example, if you were to block social media but allow certain things like just a Instagram or just a uh, Facebook, uh, oftentimes, there are some CDN resources. We would have to have to catch them all in that particular case to specifically whitelist that application. So it didn't turn out to be as reliable as we were hoping, uh, so we didn't enable it in this release. Uh, we'll look at it in the future uh, if we're satisfied with the quality of the data. Right. Okay. Basically, explicit allow is more
2: complicated.
0: Uh. Andy asks if there have been any improvements on the agent update process currently when the agent updates, the internet will drop for that user until the update completes.
1: So that's a good question. I think my first question would be which agent. Um, So some of them, uh, like I said, we're still expanding the team and, and replacing some of those early contractors with uh, better skilled people. Uh, So if there is a specific agent, like uh, I'm not sure if that's Android or or iOS or, or windows, whatever the case may be. um, In that particular case, uh, let us know that could be a bug that we are not aware of and we will do our best to fix it.
2: Yeah, definitely reach out to our support team. They're, they're very skilled and I'm sure they can um, if, Something is wrong. They can direct it to the product team and the dev teams, and we can get it fixed for you.
0: And and I'm just uh, he says Windows PC agent. So I feel like that's probably your most popular agent. And it is. You, I mean, you would have heard if if this was a thing by now.
1: So the, I would expect to, yeah, uh, because I haven't heard that before. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely reach out to our support team. Uh, they, uh, I'm sure they can help uh, figure out what the exact issue is. Part of the challenge is the deployment process, process can be, everyone's network can be slightly different. So there may be something either uh, in the system itself, whether there's uh, VPNs or things going on there, uh, there could be uh, strange uh, DNS settings being sent over DHCP. There could be a variety of things, um, I haven't heard of that specifically and it's, it's uh, like, like you said, windows is definitely our most popular uh, agent. So, um, but yeah, let's, uh, if we can get it fixed for you, definitely we'll do our best to do so.
0: And uh, Shiva also mentioned that um, fish links are coming from a CDN. So is, is that something that you're able to, are you able to do anything about the fishing links that are, that are now using CDNs?
1: So to some extent, uh, we are scanning things. Uh, our machine learning engine is scanning things just as a browser would. And we're using ver- a variety of, of indicators. Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter where it's hosted. Um, obviously some burying a specific thing uh, deep in a CDN, is uh there's only so many things that we can we can catch uh and targeted phishing is also uh, a challenge as well because if it's extremely targeted uh our machine learning engine doesn't have enough data to properly identify it as as malicious um but yeah i mean it doesn't really matter if the destination is a cdn uh s3 um like an ec2 instance it doesn't really matter uh our scanning engine you know will scan it and do its best to identify it.
0: All right. Um next question, has the performance on the interstitial instant scan uh has that page impor- uh, performance been improved? Previously this would take upwards of 5 minutes.
1: So we're we're trying to work on a solution for that uh I'm not sure if it's going to be in 2021 or not. Uh, the, the challenge is not that the response is not fast enough. Uh, one of the challenges is that the browser is inappropriately caching the DNS result. So in, in some instances, so what happens is our interstitial page, if it comes across an unknown domain, uh, it will send people to our server temporarily. Um, we, we, uh, uh, we send back a relatively short TTL time to make sure that it's can be refreshed fairly quickly. And our machine learning takes uh, typically in the 10 second or less range. Um, however, it it turns out that some browsers are caching well beyond that low TTL time. Uh, in, in some cases, five minutes does sound like a Chrome thing. Um, so it is something we're working on uh, looking at a proxying solution that will speed up that for everyone, regardless of the uh, particular browser, uh, but we haven't gotten to it yet.
0: Man, these uh, questions just keep coming. I love it. Uh, are you doing your development stateside? Did you or do you use code COV? C O I'm not familiar with. Uh, I mean, if it sounds, no. like
1: code, <laughs> oh. yeah, it, it sounds like a code, yeah, it sounds like a code coverage tool. Um, in any case, uh, our code is a little bit of all over the place. Uh, we have people, uh, a, a bunch of developers in the U.S., uh, people from uh, other countries, especially early on, uh, a variety of places. Colombia, for example. Um, we had someone from uh, from I think it was Belarus early on. Anyway, it's uh, now we're we're focusing more on uh, U.S. based developers. Um, now that we're a little more larger of a team, um, you know, early on we, we had cost restrictions, which was a challenge. Um, and yeah, uh, we do have uh, a. CI/CD pipeline for most, most tools in our, in our infrastructure there. And, um, yeah, automated test frameworks, and, uh, uh, yeah, we do, we've done code audits for large customers in the past, uh, you know, uh, pen testing in the past. So. so
2: yeah. Another thing this. to, another, another thing to point out with, um, with our team is that DNS filter started as a, you know, distributed team. We, we don't really have an office. We never have. And that's one of our strengths is that we can hire the best talent from around the globe and um, put them to work on hard problems. So not the best developers don't exist in one place. So we get to, we get the benefit of seeking them out where they are.
0: And, and real quick, I just want to throw this up uh because I think this is why they were asking about Code CAV. I don't know if that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. So, so this service here, um, I don't actually know what it does, but uh, this this came up, and it seems kind of important. So, I think that's why Shivo and and maybe some of the other people are asking uh, if you. Do or have ever used Codecov? Um, no. Because, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's so. Woo. woo,
2: well done.
0: <laughs> so, how are you tracking your code as you as you have your team making changes to it?
1: Uh, they're. Tracking could uh, imply a variety of things. What specifically? Do you mean uh, like version control? Are you talking about analytics or
0: uh, version control, security, safety, who's doing what,
1: that type of stuff? Yeah. We'll I mean, there. so we do have uh, periodic pen tests and code reviews for uh, a variety of products uh, that we, we have, um, specifically some of the roaming clients. Um, it's just been a requirement of some of the partners that we've had. Um, so yeah, I mean, everything's version controlled, uh, backed up. We have a whole disaster recovery setup um, For us, it's it's not only the, the code that's a, a issue, our Anycast network is substantial. And that's also a big portion of uh, the security concerns and, and uptime. Uh, because we have one of the fastest reliable Anycast DNS networks, um, I think we're up to almost 50 locations now. Um, it's a, that's also a substantial piece, um, making sure that that is uh, secure. So not sure if that totally answers your question, but.
0: I think that helps. Uh, let's talk about those other guys for a second. Um Cisco Umbrella formerly known as OpenDNS they've been around a while i think they've been around longer than you or at least i've known about them longer than you so i would like to think they probably have a more mature set of features um as as you, you know even you guys can probably admit to that they've just been around longer and they have you know Cisco money to throw around So, (laughs) um, so, so why should people be using DNS filter instead of umbrella?
1: So in some cases, uh, some of the, uh, advanced features that they may offer, uh, for unique situations, sure. They may, uh, they've been around longer, so they have, uh, they, they, I'm sure they have a couple of things that we don't, um, at the end of the day though, they can't, uh, they don't have our data. Um, And that's something that does differentiate us uh, significantly. Um, And in in a lot of cases, we aren't second in terms of data. Uh, We're a lot better than they are, and we identify things faster and more reliably. So, yeah, I mean, in some advanced integrations, uh, there may be something that we're missing, and we're working on those. But in general, yeah, the data is, is where we've put a lot of time and effort in, and we think we're the best
0: okay so one one thing that I think some people are probably wondering here here's another here's another issue and then I'll come back to that um, someone asked uh, if there's a a way to for a user to force there was a way for a user to force stop the Android client which would allow them to bypass blocking is that still possible? And if so, is there any way that you guys can prevent that?
1: So uh, I will have to check on that. In, in theory, uh, because businesses are the typical deployment uh, that we're looking at, uh, most of the cases involve an MDM solution. Um, that was certainly
0: so, my thought, too.
1: Yeah. Uh, at, I mean, at the end of the day, certain uh, Android devices just give the user significant amounts of control. And then we're forced to make the decision: do we do we try to get around the system to enforce the policy, and how detailed do we have to go down that route? Um, similar issues exist for other operating systems, um, but again, in a business environment where there's some security policies in place, um, typically that's what we we recommend. Um, but for sure, if there is a scenario where um, it, it you know, we have a, a feature request uh, roadmap on our site. Um, if there is a scenario where that is a problem and there's no way around that, or if this is just something where there's a common use case that we're not thinking of, definitely let us know. I mean, we're more than happy listening to our customers and giving them, uh, you know, th- the best experience possible.
0: So um, I'm, I'm seeing... I- I haven't actually been able to see the Reddit thread itself, but um, I've had a a few people tell me that there have been one or more Reddit threads talking about um, the issue where, you know, the, the PC agent goes offline. So I guess, I guess my, I I guess I have a, a multifaceted question here. Um, one is, is to the users. Has anybody actually reported it to DNS filter? Because if you haven't, I mean, you can't expect them to fix something that you're complaining about on Reddit. I mean, they may eventually see it and they may eventually add it to the roadmap, but if they don't actually know that it's happening to more than a couple, you know, angry keyboard warriors, how do they know it's a real issue? Um, but two it sounds like there have been a couple of, uh, you know, maybe important sounding things that people are looking to have you guys fix, and it's 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 frustrating for people to see that you're you're like rolling out more features instead of fixing the ones that you have. So how how are you guys able to kind of like justify that and say, well, here's here's why we rolled out more features instead of fixed ones that are currently
1: broken? So, yeah, I mean, in every case, it's a trade-off, right? And, and specifically when it comes to uh, things that are broken, uh, there's there's two components. The, the first is, um, is there a fix for a particular problem or is it just an inherent issue? And the second is how many people are actually affected, Um as far as I know, we, we don't have any large scale, uh, persistent issues. Um, the interstitial one is a good example of, it's a very challenging problem to solve. And now that we have resources to look at that, um, that's one of those innovative features we're looking to uh, tackle in the near term. Um, for things like a particular Roman client going offline, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, if it's not reported, uh, we don't have any visibility into that. Um, but in general, uh, yeah, I, I I like to think that our, our support development uh, loop there is tight enough where we try to tackle customer issues as fast as possible.
2: Yeah, for sure. And uh, the Windows Roaming Client has the most fail-safes, failover scenarios out of any of our Roaming Clients. So if you're, if you're having problems with the windows or in the client, definitely reach out to our support team.
0: All right. And you can do that by emailing what, like brian.gillis at, you <laughs> know?
2: It's <a> support,
0: <laughs> support at com. Yes. Support at com. If you email Brian or Mikey directly, uh, one, they'll probably just put you in their spam filter <laughs> And uh, to <laughs> it won't get the problem fixed, so don't don't do that. I, that, I that wouldn't change. say that, so
2: that, that. That is true.
1: true. Our, our, support, <laughs> our support team has a, has a very good turnaround time. So if if you have uh, if there is a chat uh, if there is a chat uh, session that you're you're doing, I think the turnaround time is typically four minutes for a response or less uh, for the support team. And email, uh, I want to say it's less than four hours to at least get a response. Um, Time to resolution is probably um, a a little longer depending on the tier level that it has to get escalated to. Um, But in general, I think initial uh, tier one, we'll try to get back within the four-hour time.
0: Uh, This this question is kind of a feature request also. Ian would like to know, um, Umbrella has a direct connection via API to ConnectWise, Maybe AutoTask. He just doesn't know. It creates a DNS summary of all transactions for the last day and week into a configuration. Is there any possibility of you guys adding this type of feature?
2: So in a I'll, um, go ahead, let me yeah. take this one. So this actually leans into one of our newer features that we were that we kind of had on the on the docket to discuss. Um. We did an integration with Zapier, uh, which does have a ConnectWise manage uh, app on it. So you can actually do that connection. Now, we, d- we do realize that integrations, integrations, integrations like that is people are screaming it to us. But it is very, um, you know, time consuming to manage all those relationships and get direct API connections going. You know, that is something we will tackle. Um, but it is what we have done is done a Zapier integration, which gets us most of the way there um, with minimal effort on the customer's part. So our our Zapier integration is very easy to use. Uh, There's a handful of templates set up that you can um, just utilize right out of the box they are on our help site. Uh, You can just click on them, add to Zapier. If you're not familiar with Zapier, uh, reach out to me or our support team. We'd be happy to kind of guide you along on, on various things that we know you can do. And I'm Sure, you can come up with things we haven't even thought about because there's like three thousand or so apps in the Zapier ecosystem that can do that. Um, regarding I, I was just going to say
0: I I utilize Zapier pretty extensively as well. So if you're a member of Rocket MSP, you can always just pop something right into the uh, the Slack channel and you know we can we can work on it together. But I, I, see, I see some frustration now, so, so now we have yet another third-party application that we have to manage. But I think, I think the, you know, sure, we can complain about, yes, another thing to pay for, but I think the, the reason that you guys did Zapier is because you've just given us the ability to integrate into just about whatever we want using a, a third-party connecting tool like Zapier instead of waiting, okay, well, which one do we do? Connectwise or Autotask. I mean, you, you're gonna piss off a, a segment of your, your MSP partners if by just making the decision as to which one of those you choose. So obviously by picking Zapier you've now pissed all of them off. So <laughs> <laughs> um all right so so let's <laughs> Uh, so you said Zapier was was kind of on the the list of things to talk about. Let's uh, let's talk about Zapier. How all right. how do you, do we want to show the screen again? Yeah, sure. So so, so walk um, me th- walk me through this. This looks pretty. You got a nice integration page.
2: Yeah. So these are all of our our new integrations with Zapier. Uh, I will admit we're cheating a bit, but these are all Zapier apps that have um, viable connections that you could utilize with DNS filter. Uh, So what we've done is we, um, our Zapier integration, we have several triggers and actions. Um, So triggers and actions are like a keyword that uh, are prevalent in Zapier. Uh, I, I don't think I'll describe Zapier too much here, hoping that most MSPs are going to understand what the tool is and what it does. But if you look on our, um, on our help site, there's actually several, uh, templates that we have. And our, our support manager, Josh wrote up these, did a great job. Uh, there's a handful that are already set up. This is one where you can trigger trigger a notification to a Slack channel. Uh, if there's a, a blocked, uh, attempt for a phishing malware or botnet site and actually i'll use this one as an example so this is we can try it out right here and it'll kind of give us a a blueprint essentially i'm going to cheat a little bit because i set this up earlier Uh, but but the zapier zap is kind of pre-filled for you and you just have to connect your dns filter account and your slack account and kind of do some minimal setup and this is the finished version uh, what we're doing here is detecting, uh, we're doing a trigger on someone visited a block page, which may be you know, a high volume event. You know, A lot of block pages may get shown on your networks and you don't wanna know about every one. So then we're filtering by uh, the specific category. So we're picking malware, phishing and botnet categories to alert on. And then we're just gonna dump that to a Slack channel because it's it's easier for the demo essentially. <laughs> Uh, So, you don't want to know that that
0: all the sales guys tried looking at porn?
2: (laughs) No, we don't want to know that. (laughs) So, what I'm going to do is go to our, uh, let's see, I'll go to a known malware domain in my browser. All right, so it's blocked. That's nice. My block page, and then this action alone will then trigger this new alert here on Slack. So just like that, we've got a block alert set up for this particular network. And that's just one of the almost endless amount of things you can do with our Zapier integration.
0: Now, Eric brings up a good point. Uh, And he says that having Zapier is allowing a third party to possibly have access to data. You guys are a security company. Why? Why for you do that?
1: Yeah, so it is a it is a question. Uh, at the end of the day, we try to po- provide as much flexibility and decision making in the in the hands of the user. So, sure, in this particular case, uh, we weighed the trade offs of getting something like Zapier in customers' hands so that they can tackle as many integrations as they need uh, to do the things that they need to. Uh, But however, it is a consideration. If there is uh, sensitive information that they don't want, if they're particularly uh, privacy focused, there may be some things that they don't want to set up and send through to Zapier. Uh, It is their choice at the end of the day. Uh, And the integrations is something that we're working on uh, over time. However, you did mention uh, we run into the same problem of who do you irritate first? You know, if you pick Mm -hmm. a particular integration... Um, you exclude to some extent all of the other customers that are using other options. Um, So, yes, the the integrations is something we're pushing forward on hard. Uh, The next integration coming up is SIM integration, uh, Splunk S3 as a fallback, um, and then, again, expanding from there. Uh, But, yes, uh, anytime we are doing these integrations, we are going to be sharing data with some third-party vendor for sure.
0: And again, you know, why piss off some of them when you can piss off all of them? So pretty kudos. much <laughs> I, I, I say kudos. Um, are, do you have any other cool new features that, that you guys launched that you want to show off?
2: Those are kind of the ones that we wanted to uh, go over, but Brian just mentioned that we do have uh, SIM integrations, S3 integrations um, kind, of, kind of coming up soon. Uh, the, the, the point there is that no matter how good our reporting is inside of our app, um, many customers don't want to get that data, get the DNS data out, so that they can do analysis in the tool they already use, like Splunk or There's many other sims that are on the docket. And unfortunately, there's no Zapier for sims to like just do one integration that satisfies all of them. So we are looking at the most popular ones. If you are a user of a sim please let us know which one it is so that we can um, kind of put a tally in that Sims corner to see which ones we do in what order. So kind of what we're working on next.
0: Yeah. So I would say if you're having an issue, you know, maybe you update a windows PC agent and uh, your, your device goes offline until the update completes, or you are using a SIM and you wouldn't mind, being a guinea pig with getting DNS filter information into your sim, uh, or maybe you have another issue, or maybe something else you want to, you know, complain about, or, or whatever, right? Uh, just send an email over to support at dnsfilter.com. It's there on the screen. Guys, um, did we beat you up enough today? Yeah, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> I, was expect, I was expecting worse. Come on, Steve, bring it on. You hear that guy's he was expecting worse.
2: <laughs> no, I mean we Most do we sense. love we love hearing from our customers. Like DNS filter was built on, you know, our, our customers are just a, a wealth of knowledge and we're always here to listen. We're very excited to inter, interact with them in any way that we can. <laughs> I see Andy's comment there. Mm-hmm. Do they
0: give marriage advice? Now, Andy, you've, you haven't even... Has it even been a year yet? You should have zero problems. Get out of our faces. <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll give you some advice. Uh, I gave this advice to uh, my best friend when he got married. Uh, I said, never go to sleep uh, if, if, you're, if you're mad at your spouse. Never go to sleep angry. And I'm just so tired, man. So tired. Um, but but good news is he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. He got divorced. Um, <laughs> she, yeah, long story. Anyway, so um, yeah, I I like what I've seen. I like these new features. Uh, you can you can go to dnsfilter.com. You can get yourself set up with a trial, shoot them over an email, and uh, mention that you watched or listened to this podcast. They'll even extend your trial from a two-week to a one-month trial. So thank you guys for doing that for everyone. Um, I, oh, one person asked if you have special pricing for nonprofit. Do you do anything with TechSoup or
1: anything like that? Uh, we don't. We um... You know, depending on the size, uh, our sales team may be able to work something out. But in general, no, education is typically the the uh, kind of the lowest pricing option we offer.
0: Okay, and let's be honest, nonprofits, those guys are rolling in cash, so you should actually charge them more.
1: (laughs) There you go.
0: (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you so much, Mikey and Brian, for doing this. I can't wait to have you back so you can show off the SIM integration and any other updates that you guys make, you know, in a few months or or however long. Cool?
1: Sounds great. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for watching. And I will see everybody at the next podcast episode. Take care. Thanks.